Hello, welcome to the podcast, Sport and Life. Uh, thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Check out Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham on social media and their website, Jason Briggs and his fine team, all the numbers listed on the website, all the promotions around Instagram, as well around some of the, the fine stellar equipment they have housed in their store in Montpellier in Cheltenham or what they can source for you uh, wherever you are in the local area or indeed beyond the local area. And speaking of local area, thank you to Cytoplan, food-based supplement company that we've been taking as drapers for 20 years under the stewardship of my father, Dr. Mark Draper, who has consulted in terms of helping design their food-based supplements. Immune complete range is particularly pertinent at the moment as we try and stave off the autumn coughs and colds in addition, of course, to the lurking presence of COVID-19 that none of us really want to get and and want to try and uh, mitigate if we do get it how severe our symptoms are so in terms of boosting your immunity there's Immunovite, Immune Complete, uh, several other options as well at cytoplan.co.uk and discount code DRAPER10 feel free to use that and pass it on D-R-A-P-E-R all capital letters the numbers one zero apologies if you listen to the Sarah Shepard boxing writer podcast over the course of the weekend fascinating woman great story particularly i was intrigued by her experiences of training in boxing as a teenage girl and how it really bolstered her self-esteem and self-worth but unfortunately to this digital age of recording things the app that i'm using seemed to lose synchronicity and we ended up talking over each other i listened to it on itunes on the way back from sky sports last night and it clearly had wasn't really listenable at that point second half of the interview so i've unpublished that We'll get Sarah on again soon, possibly around the Dillian White-Alexander Povetkin rematch, because I know she's fascinated by the story of Dillian and has spoken to him and would offer some real insight to that one as well. Uh, so this podcast today is it's a fascinating book I've been sent by a publishing company called The Long Win by Kath Bishop, who is a former Olympian, world champion rower, Olympic silver medalist as well. But it's not those things that are really pertinent. It's her insight into how we're obsessed with things like that. I suppose she has to play the game. We talk about the irony of this in the podcast of listing her achievements but actually it's about kind of redefining success in terms of learning performing getting better at skills rather than obsessing about results be they grades in school be it job titles at work be it in terms of the size of the house you have be it in terms of um, winning a medal or winning a game it's about the performance and things that we can control and working on which seem relevant at the moment when a lot of our performance metrics have been blown apart by the pandemic it just seems like it's a, a sort of more substantial way of doing it so here we go. It's an interesting book, a fascinating book, The Long Win, The Search for a Better Way to Succeed by Kath Bishop. And this is a two-part conversation with Kath. Again, the wonders of modern technology. We got cut off at one point, but we uh, resumed the conversation and hopefully you enjoy it. Here she is then, Kath Bishop. Hello, Kath. Hi, Ed. How are you? Are you here? Yeah, I'm uh, good. How does that sound? That sounds good, thank you. Yeah, that sounds really good. Thank you for downloading the app. I really appreciate it. How how has the process been of, of publicising the book in the pandemic? Um, well, of course, I don't have a comparison of non-pandemic publication if it's my <laughs> first book. And uh, I think different, but um, in a way, because I'm not, you know, I would have been much more at, around at events and sort of mm. travelling and, and, and actually... I've connected in a different way with probably a different set of people and had some different conversations. So it's not good, it's not bad. Uh, I think it's different, but in a way, I think 
sort of people have reached out. It's easier to kind of connect online, you know, mm. to discuss the book and all of that. So, um, yeah, not terrible. I mean, I, you know, I dare say, it's, you know, the success for me is more about interesting conversations with people who are interested in the idea than pure book sales. And probably mm. if, it's pure, if it's pure book sales, they're probably not great. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows in this crazy world um, what 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 good publication of a book looks like? We're all trying to work it out. Yeah, we are. I mean, I suppose in a way, though, it's interesting you, you say about the the different time and and redefining success. The long win is the name of the book. I've really enjoyed it. I suppose the twenty twenty is in some ways an opportune moment to look at it, isn't it? Because we've had time a little bit at home to reflect, perhaps on on how we're living life and. And what we're trying to achieve, because this, this concept of winning it infiltrates every aspect of life, doesn't it? When I read the book and I reflected on my own experiences, be it in personal life, at school, at university, in the workplace, in sport. It's, it's an obsession that, that can affect us yeah. all. We constantly feel like we're trying to get somewhere, don't we? I think when you read the book, you realize yeah. that we're all trying to win all the time, but often feeling empty because of it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's timely and I couldn't have predicted that, but lots of people are reevaluating what success means because they've had it sort of what they thought success was has been wiped away and they've had mm. this different space. So in some ways, um, there's a lovely, yeah, there's a lovely space that people want to talk about this and have got different thoughts about it. And we're not being bombarded with either, you know, results from sports events and Olympics and all that, which just takes up all the space to stop and think, mm. what's, the, what's the purpose of this? What's this really about? So, you know, in some ways, yeah, I mean, couldn't couldn't time it better. But, I mean, that's that's a hard thing to, to think that, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, how, how, how would you encapsulate the sort of the concept of, of winning that you're really trying to kind of expose in, in the book and the sort of the short-termism and the sort of superficiality of it? Because... Um, it's it's almost like it's a disregard for the intrinsic joy of doing something, isn't it? It's interesting yeah. that you, you said that when you won your silver medal in the Olympics, the commentator said only silver in, mm. in terms of when you think you're, you know, you're, you're officially one of the two best pairs in the world. Mm. I mean, for, you know, the, the, the problem for me is when we define success as something that's very narrow, very short term, you know, externally put on you, if you like and temporary it's a moment crossing mm. a line and actually people can feel quite unfulfilled regardless of the position that they finish in because it's not connected to what comes thereafter mm. so you know it's this sort of narrowness of what it's a moment in time and if that moment is unconnected it it, it quickly loses its meaning so mm. yes it's about kind of you know tapping into connecting these moments to something that's ongoing that you know much less finite if you like that kind of stuff that gives us meaning the stuff that that will then, you know, mean we continue the journey in some way, whether it's in sport or business, whatever it is. But we take something from one world and we understand what it is when we go into the next world, rather than, right, mm. that's ticked off, now onto something else, and in a very superficial way. And then we're just sort of left going, well, what was that all about? Yeah, it's, it was interesting because you went through this process of becoming a rower almost in your your adulthood, didn't you? Because you took up rowing and you found a joy for it at university and suddenly became something you were talented at. But we, what, at what point down that journey did the joy dissipate? Was that something that it kind of sometimes in the back of our minds, isn't it, when that experience happens and then you sort of, a sort of unrest starts to grow? Was that something you experienced after your initial uh, adoption of rowing? I think there was a very definite switch. You know, at university it was fun and even though it got more serious and I rode sort of in the Oxford Cambridge boat race at a higher level than obviously when you start rowing at university. Um, but it was mm. still really fun based, just about loving the sport. 
and you know pushing yourself within that but there was a definite switch when it's like right now I'm on the track to try and get into the Olympics there was this sort of total new language about like now you're a serious athlete that means you don't enjoy it that means yeah. you know the only thing that counts is winning and the you know don't get any sort of expectations of being happy until until you win which is a very dangerous thing uh, because then of course you get on the top stage top step of the podium and the joy doesn't necessarily flow at that point and you think oh my god I didn't even have fun on the way and now this isn't that great <laughs> yeah that that's one of the things that I can see happening it's more of a relief is it when you got to that podium is that the feeling or just an emptiness you said in the book maybe yes well I think by the time I got there because I've had quite a few experiences of not getting on there um you know I was able to appreciate it, and I'd really come at that third Olympics with a different approach so I think you know I was of all sorts of mixed emotions really because half of my mind still understood the old world where you kind of went well you know what second pretty good but you didn't do what you said you were going to do you didn't you, <laughs> you didn't get the big one and then half of my mind was sort of going oh thank god we've got such a better outcome and we've had such a better experience along the way and we've got loads of stuff here that's going to be useful for what comes next in life so i was sort of straddling those two worlds really which i'd started to experiment with in that third olympics but then mm you know, uh, it's taken me sort of years and, and the perspective of seeing it in, winning in different worlds, business, diplomacy, to then continue to understand it, I guess. And, and it's really that sense-making, that journey I've been on that, that comes out in the book. Yeah, I used to live in Twickenham and it was interesting being by the river because you'd see people on the river and they'd think, what a beautiful setting, you know, particularly in autumn or a change of season when the sun is out. I've done, I've done sort of kayaking and things like that on the Thames before and at other places. Actually went near me now on the Avon recently and did paddle boarding and thought what a joyful experience it was. And it was interesting in your journey to the third Olympics where you ultimately got those silver medals with Catherine Granger that you started to enjoy and look around on the boat and think what a, what a wonderful experience it was. But is it, there was an aspect of mindfulness to this, which I know you referenced towards the end of the book as well. Definitely. I mean, that's the thing that I fell in love with for the sport was just being on the river, you know, and re working mm. really closely with other people. And you're know, in that natural environment where the weather's changing and you need to respond to that, you need to sense the boat moving beneath you and the water and you know, that is the joy of, of rowing. And of course, and once mm. you've got all the sort of the, the hard training and the physiology and the coaching, you know, all of that sort of pulls you away from that, really. But that is what gives you that resilience and, you know, the, the gratitude to have the opportunity to spend so much time on a, on a, in a beautiful setting. So definitely mm. coming back to that was really helpful. And on those days where the coach is shouting at you and at the back and, you know, you can't jump past and, you know, you're not having a good day. You just be able to sort of think, you know what, this is, this is still a beautiful place to be. Just mm. gives you, a, you know, an absolute moment of refilling your resilience to keep going and, you know, coming back the next day. So it's so important to connect with that um, and to yeah. use that. You know, you see that with lots of athletes and, uh, you know, I remember lots of cricketers sort of saying, you know, again, a sport that people fall in love with, I think, growing up, such a, you know, such a different sport often than the ones you're introduced with. And, you know, many cricketers who then are on this sort of endless treadmill of, you know, going to the sort of events abroad, away from your family and, and the pressure, the huge pressure and mm. losing that joy and then often having, either having a bit of a crisis or some time out and then refinding the, the joy, the, you know, playing, play to be in the zone to have your peak performance. So it's getting back to that very basic sense of playing sport. Mm. 
Yeah, that terminology is key, isn't it? That the, the verb play, because as interesting, there's a Netflix documentary now, Coach's Notebook, and there's an NBA coach called Doc Rivers. And he said that when he won the, you know, again, I'm referencing the fact that he won something is, a, is almost justification to mention him, which is again part of the problem, I suppose. But he, he mentioned the fact that he uses the verb play all the time, never said it was training, never called it practice per se, but it was playing at basketball. He'd go and play basketball and he was a player. And then he'd go and watch others play when he was a coach. And, and that's an important verb, isn't it? Because this is something that almost affects our education. I remember primary yeah. school being joyful when you learn to read and you learn to add up. My daughter's going through this now because she's five and she's really relishing it. But then I remember this weight of sort of destination culture that hits you at secondary school where it's like you have to get to this point. You have to get grades. And when you're 13, you have to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life because you have to choose your GCSEs. And we, it's, it's something that almost stems from schools, isn't it? That then permeates the rest of the world of business and sport, it feels like sometimes. Yeah, and it's total madness because uh, all the research tells us that we learn far better through play, not just as children. Yeah. We don't stop that. I mean, we have that kind of drilled out of us almost. There's a sense of, okay, done the playing bit now. Now we get serious. You know, just as I said with the Olympic journey, it was like, right, now you're a serious athlete, so you're not going to have fun anymore. Even, you know, if you lose, it's a big tragedy. You mustn't be kind of relaxed or, or happy about <laughs> losing. You must be sort of thrashing yourself and, and you know, grief-stricken and, and, you know, saying this must never happen again. That, that would show you're a future winner. You know, all of this sort of ridiculous macho narrative almost that detracts from mm. what really helps us to perform. And I mean, I always think about Danny Thompson, who is you know, one of the sort of legendary athletes of the 20th yeah. century. And, and, you know, he had that playfulness at those moments of immense pressure. And at the time, he was criticised for it. You know, it's almost like people didn't appreciate it. They thought he was somehow not taking it seriously enough without realising that it was that ability yeah. to still see it as play in the greatest of pressures, the final throw of the discus in the Olympic Games. That's what enabled him to reach those heights. So he completely yeah. misinterpreted that. Yeah, Michael Jordan was obsessed with winning nominally, but then when you hear conversations about how he went through his process, when he was taking a shot, he wasn't thinking about the repercussions of, of missing. And, and, and he said, you know, he failed thousands mm. of times. And it's that, that ability to to trial and test and fail, isn't it? In micro fails or, or just learn. You know, it's, it's how we use the phrases, I guess, around it. Exactly. Learning, experimenting. Um, and, and, you know, that's how we get creativity and innovation. And, you know, that's one of the challenges in the workplace. For most of us, it's changing immensely quickly. And this year has thrown all the normal ways of working out the window. And what do we need to do? We need to be able to be creative. We need to experiment mm -hmm. and try different ways of doing it. And if we haven't been enabled to do that when we're learning sport or when we're at school, then we lose that ability to adapt when, when stuff happens. And my God, we've really been tested in that direction. So again, it's that not, yeah. not valuing playing, experimenting, which is so important, but it's almost, we can't measure it. We can't give a medal for that. So we'll discard it somehow. Yes, that's that's really interesting, isn't it? And you, the mindset you refer to in the in the book was really fascinating. That that you what you had a, a change where you realised that thinking about and obsessing about winning all the time wasn't actually going to make it more realistic, and you had to make it about self development and just wanting to improve. I suppose as we all when we start something, particularly when we're children, we just want to get better at it, don't we? Without really kind of analysing where it's going. Yeah, and that that is definitely where we get a lot of motivation. And a kind of resilience, I guess, as well, comes from that process of constant improvement and just seeing what's possible, not just what do I need to do to beat the next person, but actually it's being more ambitious than that and saying, you know, what's actually possible here? And I think definitely we get distracted then by this obsession with winning from exploring our potential, from, you know, seeing and trying different things out. And 
you know, certainly it was a massive distraction in my early career um, from actually doing mm. the things I needed to do to move on. And, and that's what sports psychologists now use, um, you know, the separation of the performance that you're constantly exploring and, and bringing to, to the race day. And the result, those are separate things. We don't control the result. It's based on a load of external factors that are out of our control, not least our competitors, but sometimes the weather, the referee, the umpire, you know, whether you're fit and injury-free. There's a whole load of things there. So it's pointless to be fixated mm. on that. Actually, let's put all of that energy into the things we can develop and change. So that makes you feel much yes. more in control. Yeah, finishing second to Usain Bolt sort of circa 2008 to 2010 in the 100 metres wasn't necessarily a failure, was it? Because he was, uh, uh, he was an outlier and a phenom that actually, you know, you had to measure yourself against yourself often in life. I think that's so interesting, yes. I remember, you know, there was a brilliant race in 2012 in the 800 metres when David Radisha broke the world record, I think the Seb Toe's world record, and it had been, uh, you know, it was years mm. and years, and it was an absolutely amazing race, arguably one of the best races on the, on the track in 2012. And the guy who came second broke, broke the world record as well. But we never talk about him. Wow. We never hear him. You know, and no. yet he's critical to that race. I mean, all those brilliant Olympic races, you need everyone in them. You need the different tactical thinking. You need those sort of different people to enable that performance. And yet we seem to then discard the others. He played a role in the brilliance of the winner as well. You know, it's that sort of Federer and Nadal thing, isn't it? You know, those five setters, they need each other to reach the height. Yes, yeah, and it's, it's 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 fascinating that that um, concept of how we define winning, even when you you might win an event and none of your competitors are fit to play. So actually, you've won it almost by default. Yet you're given the same acclaim. And it's funny reading the book because, as a sports journalist, I just wonder how much we are to to blame or how much we're affected and infiltrated by the culture. Because as you say sometimes we're obsessed with that to the point where you know I've asked boxers in the past, oh, you know, are you thinking about it all the time in the build-up? And then you speak to their management. They're like, well, actually, we're trying to take them to the cinema and not think about it. They're trying to be relaxed. That's the key to, to performing, not constantly thinking about things. Because in the media, we've got a mantra that athletes must sit around just thinking about winning all the time. And, and that's the key. I think it's a really good point. Um, yeah, I, you know, I do think that's where a lot of the, the language and the, the sort of images that we see about what winning means come from. So, you know, that's what we learn. You know, it's a way we learn about winning. It's really dominant. You know, what do you write about? It's the, it's the results all the time. Although, you know, as I understand it, actually what people enjoy reading, there's more kind of research coming out now, is these, these pieces around the story about what the athletes have gone mm. through. And people want those human stories. And actually that often attracts an audience of the sort of less typical sports fans, if you like. So I think there's a really big role for, for us to rethink, you know, what's the meaning of sport? What do we get from sport, both as athletes, but also, yes, what are the stories we tell about sport? Because we exclude some brilliant stories because they didn't win. And yet mm. there's stuff that we would all connect with in our lives. We don't go through life winning everything. You know, we tell these stories in school assemblies and, you know, corporate conferences and we invite the winners. But, you know, that school assembly you talk to, they're not all going to win everything. So why are we sort of presenting that as being, you know, <laughs> that's what you've got to be thinking about. It's just not the way life yeah. works. So, yeah, there's a real job yes. for you to, to kind of be part of telling these different stories. Well, I've noticed some cultural changes at work and it's interesting. We, we had some pushback, but I think it's increasingly accepted. We have sort of ex-female footballers now. At Sky Sports, as, as analysts and pundits, we sometimes have journalists who haven't even made it as professional players coming in to offer analysis. And there's a sort of growing appreciation that you do not need to be a former Premier League champion to have an insight into sport. And sometimes, like you say, it's the failures that, that inform you more and the disappointments and setbacks. And that actually, 
different people can can have a viewpoint, can't they? Because it's interesting because you could have written this book having not got that silver medal, but you almost have to play the game of, no. of being a silver yeah. medalist and writing it on the back of the book to yeah. almost give you a platform. Yeah. Whereas you still got, you would still have had the same wisdom, I yeah. presume, getting to this. No, point. there's a huge irony in that, but it's only because I have that medal that I'm sort of that anyone would would think of think of reading it, yeah. and yet my message is that's not why you should read it. So there's a huge irony in that, and I, you know, I always think about the people I trained with. There were some unbelievable athletes. And for them, the medal didn't come because, you know, for whatever reason, they were injured at the wrong time, the crew didn't sort of gel, you know, all sorts of things. But they were an amazing part of my journey that I learned from, and they were kind of inspirational thought people, but we don't invite them into school assemblies. We don't invite them to talk at conferences. And I think that is madness because those are exactly the sorts mm. of people who enabled me, you know, to take the opportunity when I had it to develop as an athlete. And those are the sorts of people that, that we all are part of that world of encouraging each other and bringing the best out of each other. And that's a, a far greater message to, you know, the school mm. assembly than just having the winner up there. Does it all start with, with education, do you feel? Because there is a, a real sort of obsession with grades, isn't there? And I actually did quite well at school. It, for some reason, the exams suited me, but it was often... I'm not sure I learned a lot. I just memorise things the night before an exam and, and do quite well. And actually, I remember I got an A-level prize at my school and felt quite empty about it. And, and, and because I didn't really attach it to the school or a learning environment, just it was me at home or head in a book and, and, and memorising it and sort of re, regurgitating it on the day. And, I'm, and it's only until I got older, I did a master's in journalism, started trying to learn a bit of Spanish on the side. This actually, during lockdown, I've learned a bit of skipping. I've tried to learn how to skip with my daughter and stuff like that. And actually you just realise the, the joy of, of learning. And I feel like sometimes we were robbed of that, weren't we, at school? Hello, Kath. Kath, let me just uh, reconnect with you. I'll send you another link. Hey, Kath, sorry about that. Hi. Hey, Kath, sorry I lost you there. How, are you okay? Hi, yeah, my phone rang, which sort of... Sorry, I should have reminded you to put it on Do Not Disturb. That's my fault completely. I'm sort of new to this this technology because often I used to do these in person. So, I'm, oh, yeah. yeah. Shall I put it on? Um, what shall I? What, what do I put it on? Um, because your, put it on airplane. Your set, settings, I think there's a Do Not Disturb if you'd like to, to put it in there. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Don't worry, though. That's fine. I've had that before a couple of times. Had that with a, a boxing writer. So that's my fault for not, not letting you know. Um, Apologies, we were on a school question, weren't we? Yes, it was just asking about, I was just asking about whether we need to sort of redefine that because I look back at my secondary school education in particular, I did quite well, but realised it was just because I was good at regurgitating information in exams. And I wondered whether you felt that was something we need to look at culturally. I know Sir Ken Robinson's got a great TED talk, hasn't he, about how education teaches creativity out of us in a sense. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And we're, we're assessed individually um and you know any form of collaboration is often sort of viewed as cheating if you like <laughs> yeah um, and we're set up against each other we're often sort of ranked against each other so I don't want to help you learn you know because that will make me less look less good and we're all sort of putting our hands up in class and it's who gets asked first the sort of the house points or you know so you want other people to get the wrong answer because then you might give the right answer and look better than them so we're set up competitively and yet mm. there's a lot of research that actually cooperative learning is a much more effective way of understanding a subject at a deeper level but yes the game of of winning exams for me it's a narrow metric it's that narrow short-term you know, externally kind of imposed metric about success that has very little to do with real education, real learning at a deeper level and understanding and, and applying what you learn 
to the world they're after. So it, it doesn't set us up for the modern workplace, which requires creativity, innovation, collaboration, all of these skills that are almost absent from our education system. Mm. It's almost a dr- it's sort of vestige of the industrial age, isn't it? Of working in a factory, I think people have likened it to that. Yes, I think so. So if you're in a very, very controllable world where you can't really influence things, you just want people to do the same thing over and over again, then that's okay. But very few of us work in a world like that. And it's decreasingly like that. You know, even in the factories these days, you need to be thinking about how could we, you know, constantly improve the systems and do things differently. Obviously, we've got the kind of uh, advance of um, AI that's shifting the way we do things. So we need to think about how do we add value? And it's, it's by the more complex um, ways of finding meaning and purpose and connection and collaboration that we can add value, not just by regurgitating mm. something, because actually the computers can do that. So mm. you know, again, another reason why we need to really sh- reshift what what learning looks like and what success in education looks like. Yeah, because the fact is just at the, the click of a fingertips, isn't it? Or you can ask Alexa or whatever it might be. Now it's uh, you don't necessarily need to regurgitate that sort of numbers and and sort of facts from history. What what about the workplace? What have you found in your transition to the workplace? You found that because in the book you elaborate on how that winning culture is almost just as persistent there when it comes to careers and titles and status. So yes, exactly. We, we often put, you know, success def- becomes defined as a as a short term metric. You know, it's your quarterly figures. You know, it's your sales targets, and and these, you know, can can drive behaviours then that are also short term. We don't value kind of the the way we connect with one another. We don't invest in relationships. We don't explore different ways of doing things because I've got to hit, you know, my my figures for the next quarter. I haven't got time to experiment, to explore, even though I might find something that enables me to be much more successful in six months' time. I've got to hit the deadline next week. I've got to do all these short-term kind of pressures that are being measured in a very narrow way that don't give me space to learn, to develop, to talk to others, to explore you know, what's out there in terms of ideas of doing things differently. So I often see this obsession with winning where people are competing against each other rather than collaborating with mm. each other. And, you know, that's not rewarded. Um, and yet that is what's critical to surviving, you know, some all of the stuff that's thrown at us in, in 2020 and beyond, which requires us to do things different. And often to understand that deeper in purpose to what we're doing, so, it, mm. again, if you're just going for a sort of sales figure and in 2020, chances are, you know, that's been wiped out the window and then you're left going, what am I supposed to do? But if you kind of understand a bit more about what that sales figure is linked to, so what impact does that have, the product you're selling, you know, what's the bigger sort of social purpose to what you're doing, what's happening in the communities that, that you're connecting with. If you've got those connections, you can start to reshift and think, well, this is a different way in which we could achieve that same impact. But if mm. you don't have that sort of, bigger connection to what you're contributing to as a company or as a team then it's really hard to shift and understand how to adapt and it becomes a very frightening world to survive in Mm. how does materialism play into it do you feel because that's creates a destination culture of itself doesn't it we want the the house which is kind of allied to the job i suppose we want the house we want there's a certain number of kids you want the dog it's almost a it's again worrying about what other people think and achieving a a winning life Do, do you find that sometimes just socially 
I think there is that real strand. But again, that's what we see. That's what the media sometimes sort of pushes to think is really important. And there is a, a bit of a, a kind of narrative around um, that's going to make you happy. But all of the research that you can look up, uh, you know, whether it's about people winning the lottery or whether it's just about how much money you, ne- you need to earn to be happy above a certain amount. Once you can fulfill your basic needs and you can put food on the table yeah. and have a nice day in a car, that's it. Beyond that, you're not getting any happier. In fact, often the opposite. So, again, we don't sort of stop and think about what are the things that are really you know, important to us. Although sometimes, mm. you know, we have had an opportunity over recent months, I think, to reevaluate what matters. When we have that sort of shock, if you like, that stops us in our tracks, then we have that space to reevaluate and think, yeah, you know, maybe I don't want to be spending time here and, you know, to get off the treadmill that we're on of being so busy and trying to do so many things that ultimately mm. aren't that important to us. And we need to stop and yeah. think about what are the things that are going to be more important in the longer term. Yeah. And that self-development can be sort of almost intangible soft skills, can't it? Like we, the time we've had with our loved ones now is, is to work on those relationships. You know, for me, I've spent a lot more time with my wife and daughter, which has been great, but suddenly that can, that can create attention in a way, but you have to use it as a learning opportunity to, to get along, I suppose, and understand each other. I think those are the skills we need sort of in our personal and our professional lives to actually do, you know, to, to be more fulfilled in both. And I mean, I talk a lot about the sort of the trio of mindset, behaviours and relationships which are critical to improving performance, whether we're in mm. business world or in a sporting world, but which we often don't find so easy to measure. And so they don't get scheduled. But actually, the mindset we bring to what we're doing is has a critical impact on what actually happens thereafter. And so, you know, really understanding what's important to us, finding the meaning and the journey we're on, whether, again, it's in sport or business or education, you know, has a much bigger way of supporting us to develop and explore our potential then to think about the way we behave and as you say the way we interact with others you know we can't we can't be successful on our own and you know we don't want to, to live on our own um you know again we've seen the sort of challenge of being isolated in um in yeah. our lives this year that, that's just not good for us that doesn't make us feel good that doesn't make us feel happy at all so that again is a reminder of the importance of connection in our lives and the need to invest in that and give time to that and prioritize that Mm, that's one of the keys in the book wasn't it connection was the key felt to fulfillment and purpose absolutely so having that sort of clarity of your purpose of what matters having a constant learning mindset and the connections that that fuel all of that really and that, and that, that also give you the meaning and what you're doing i mean some of this as you say it, it's not actually new this is sort of thinking that the greek philosophers were you know <laughs> thinking about you know all of those from millennia ago about what really matters in life and and we can realize that too late um we're so busy doing all the things in front of us that are so short term and so just you know not lasting that we need to shift and and actually we need to think and portray success as something very different Mm. yeah and i think we've all sort of had to come to terms with mortality as well over the past few months because of the you know the way the, the government has felt it necessary to blazon the information about coronavirus to us so in a way we don't really consider with illnesses and, and, and it kind of comes to terms with there can be a lot of positives to come by out of it how important is just having that that principles to guide us do you feel kath and, and then a focus on on personal development is that the way that we can sort of circumnavigate the environments around us which do try and encourage winning in in all these different arenas yeah, i think i think we need to have those principles and values as part of our definition of success 
you know, we've seen the sort of tragic stories in GB gymnastics and in fact gymnastics around the world. And that to me shows, you know, a world where winning has gone very, very badly wrong, the pursuit of winning. Um, there are no sort of core values, if you like, to the way those environments were run. And, and you know, that winning becomes shallow. I mean, Amy Tinkler, the, the Rio bronze medalist, sort of said, you know, I would, I would give away my Olympic medal if I could change that experience that I had. And when we get to that point, you have to think this is not working. We need to make mm. sure that we think about the quality, the experience behind the medals is an important part of their value. So the way we, mm. the way we win medals is as important as just that moment of getting the result, the moment of the outcome. And so I think, again, defining that differently, you know, and, and the media can play a role in the stories they tell about, you know, the, the, the journey towards the medal and the story after the medal. So mm. we can avoid some of those situations where we seem to think that the medal justifies anything that goes before. And that's clearly not true. I mean, that for me is it's unacceptable success. We, we all agree that doping is unacceptable. Yeah. Well, I think you know, we also have to agree that, you know, cultures that we've seen, toxic cultures like we've seen in gymnastics, and, and that's, that's not just a, a gymnastic phenomenon either. It does exist elsewhere. That's not acceptable, but we're not starting off defining, if you like, what success looks like, involving culture, involving values, that these things must be central to how we then pursue success. Yeah, and almost keeping health and well-being, I suppose, at the core of it for, for us and for athletes and mm. for people in different walks of life. And one of the modern spectres I quickly wanted to ask you about before we, we end was social media, because it, it translated to me a lot of times, you know, that people now are pursuing attention and they've got the metrics of follows and likes and things like that. How pertinent do you think that is? Because I'm not saying people shouldn't be on social media, but it's been, it's been allied to sort of or been linked to a rise in mental health issues. And do you feel that that is, again, the winning culture that we're trying to get more follows than people with, rather than thinking about how maybe we can positively engage on those platforms and, and, and sort of, as you say, quality over quantity. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it, it's meaningless, isn't it? Because you get another like, but it might be a bot or it might be who knows what. Actually, yeah. much more important is to have some people who then you might connect with and who might support you on your journey or who might be part of developing your career, whatever it might be. So again, we've got this sort of issue within our brains, if you like. Are we playing to the short-term reward system? where the returns are then diminishing. You know, it's that, oh, I've got a click or I've got a like. And, you know, actually that, that's sort of almost like a gambler that you're looking for the next one for the next one, which is really limiting mm. and often also puts it into a, a state of fear and of feeling threatened because, oh, I've got to get the next one, got the next one to justify something, rather than actually playing to the part of our brains that connects to longer-term meaning, purpose, and actually making a difference to other people's lives. So, yes, we've got to think about, you know, not just being pulled towards that, almost, you know, like, a, like an addict, like a gambler um, would. It's, you know, that's the part of the brains that we are, we are connecting with when we're obsessed with social media. And, you know, none of us think mm. that's success, becoming a, an, an addict. That's not something successful, <laughs> but that's essentially what it is. It's addiction. And, it, you know, it's yes. a particular part of our brain that can get trapped into that. So we need to really start thinking very differently about what's brought meaning to today. Um, and clearly it's not just the number of likes you have on your Facebook. And it's an, an, empty, yeah, an emptiness to it. And the, the likes can be allied to profit. You talk about profit and the obsession with growing GDP in, in business. Do you feel, because I, I, I suppose in social media, we've seen the, the sort of concept of virtue signaling. Do you feel that companies who are espousing noble ideals will, when push comes to shove, 
keep to those ideals when it's when profits on the line? Do you feel that we're getting to a place where people will do that? So the research again shows overwhelmingly that purpose-led businesses outperform their peers by some margin, and mm. and it and are much more sustainable. So you know, if you're trying to um, do it at a superficial level, it just doesn't work because people know that. So if you've sort of got your mission statement that that states your purpose, but you don't actually you know, uphold that or live the values to it or the principles. And people get that really quickly. It doesn't work. That won't motivate people at a, at a different level to, to, to give their best, no. if you like. So you do need to do it in a really genuine way or you won't get the profit, um, you know, that, that comes from that. So the two are linked, but it, it involves you really making that commitment to the purpose. Um, but that's what will see mm. you through the sort of the ups and the downs, if you like. And that's what enables people to then um, tap into that deeper level of motivation because they something that matters but yes if times get tough and that's chucked out the window then you you lose all the games you might as well not have bothered to play that game um or you Mm. might as well not have have sort of turned purpose into a short-term game if you like so you know there is a real choice um about what you believe in if you're running or you know if you're running a company if you're a leader in a company and i also think the next generation are much more savvy and care a lot more and we'll, we'll really sort of test employers in the future about whether they're genuine about their purpose, whether they're genuine about, you know, their environmental responsibilities and their social impact ambitions. So I also think, you know, this is this is only going to increase in its importance and rightly so. Mm. Yes. Yeah. As you say as well, I mean, unless you're selling masks at the moment, your chances of making a profitable year or, or having a particularly good year are probably diminished, aren't they, with what's, what's happened in the wider economy. Um, I wanted to leave you with a final thought. Or you leave us with a final thought. Was it just about learning was integral, wasn't it? You really encourage people to take up new skills. As you find that alters our mindset and our state. So learning is, is, is really the key to maximising our potential, to also being motivated and seeing the progress that we make in something that matters to us and focusing on that learning process rather than outcomes is really the key to a performance mindset in sport that's what you're doing is you're optimizing the progress you make each day and then you bring your best to the game to the match to the race and you see what outcome you get and then you continue the improvement so regardless of whether you won a race or lost the race or something's always the same that's you're always thinking okay what am I going to do differently next time and what can I improve so we start to feel less of a of just this sort of roller coaster of oh I won everything's great or I lost everything's terrible mm. but no well what can I improve for next time even if I'm the best in the world I want to keep improving so it gives you that real sort of sense of you know ongoing motivation a resilience for when you lose do you know what you're still learning and when you win it's not mm. the end of the road either and you're you know it's not supposed to be winning <laughs> and oh now everything's amazing forever coach, you know what? yeah because your, co- your coach your coach coach could teach you after you want to race didn't he sorry to interrupt your coach could teach you it was interesting in the book after you want to race that was one of the sort of i guess the light bulb moments yeah maybe. massively so that's right yeah we you know we'd won a race after years of not winning any and we were so sort of sucked into this you know oh my god it feels so good and he was asking us you know how did the re- how's the performance we're like oh it's so good to win a medal and you know what he wanted to hear was he's like it's a great result i want to hear about the performance and eventually we realized and we're able to sort of talk about all oh, what happened in the warm-up and in the race and through the race and the things that worked and the things that didn't work and you know when the wind changed and, and we got sort of we lost the balance in the boat we lost some rhythm what were the things we did that helped us get it back and he was like great those are the things that are going to help us to go faster next time you know that medal that result doesn't tell us any of that and what we're about is about mm. maximizing our improvement and maximizing our potential so that's what we want to get interested in and it's a completely different discussion but a really exciting motivating one 
that continues, um, you know, whatever you're pursuing. Yes. Yeah, I think it's a, fa- it's a great message across life, sport, work, whatever it might be, that you can, you can control that because the results are often externally uh, decided, particularly things like jobs and, and promotions and things like that, where you can work on your skill set at work rather than actually just obsess about a promotion, which is out of your control a lot of times. Um, Kath, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. Um, and where can, we, where can we get the book? Is it out in all good bookstores? It is, yes. Um, online, in bookstores from the 13th of October, um, and you know more details about the book and about me at www.cathbishop.com or follow me at the Kath Bishop on Twitter, also on LinkedIn. So yeah, happy reading. Yeah, I know we connected on Twitter, which is great, but it's really good to talk to you. I appreciate your time. You had a long win. The search for a better way to succeed certainly resonated with me. And at the weekend, I was watching some kids play football in the park, and it wasn't playing sort of semi-professional football. I remember it was that with my friends was the mm. key, and, and just the joy of that experience and actually tapping back into that is is key. And I hope you know a lot of athletes find they lose their love for sport. So I hope that I think this mindset is important for all of us in in all walks of life. But Kath, thank you very much. Have it, have a good day and best of luck. Brilliant. Many thanks. Thanks, Kath. Bye. So there we have it, Kath Bishop, really good book, Long Win, The Search for a Better Way to Succeed. I think it's interesting in all our lives that we obsess about about those titles, those grades, those statuses, the job titles, whatever it might be, and how it doesn't always feel rewarding, but actually just the pure process of enjoying life, of enjoying things that we do and trying to get better at them is helpful. Apologies if the the audio quality wasn't fantastic again, and indeed for the... uh, sort of loss of communication midway through hopefully it wasn't too distracting for you and you got something out of that if you do please rate it on itunes thank you for listening thank you to the sponsors as well bang olufsen of cheltenham and serena v who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations check out bang olufsen of cheltenham on social media uh, thank you as well to cytoplan.co.uk got a slightly sore throat today so i'm going to maximize my vitamin c and uh, stave off anything hopefully in the coming days any sort of bugs that are floating around in the autumn as the temperature drops apparently our throats a lot more susceptible to to illness so keeping the uh, the vitamins up and cytoplan.co.uk c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk and you can get 10 percent off with a discount code draper10 any uh, itunes reviews appreciated guys ratings if you talking about status and numbers and grades it's the world we live in you have to you have to play the game i suppose to a certain extent and uh, try and keep your uh, own individual analysis on, on performance metrics, as Kath was saying there. But if you do uh, rate on iTunes, that's appreciated. Thank you for listening to the podcast, first and foremost, and above all, and I hope you have a good week. Thank you, guys, and bye-bye for now.